welcome everybody to episode 18 there we go of media sandwich reheated with chris kyle and dan i am not two of those people N- neither am i i'm a fraction <laughs> <laughs> these are getting these these intros are getting shaky <laughs> oh, no. they're getting shaky's pizza hey guys hey, hey dan. dan hey sorry i uh apparently there's a setting you have to flip on your phone to let Skype work if you're doing something else, like a multitasking permission. And I was watching a review of PC cases because, good Lord, I hate myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, for you, it's PCs. For me, it's become lightsabers. And boy, did I get some shit about that from my dad the other day. (laughs) (laughs) He saw, my, he saw my post about my paracord wrap that I put on my lightsaber, and he's like, lightsaber? Come on, man. You're 32. I'm like, you know well, some, some guys it's guns, some guys it's knives, some guys it's computers, some guys it's cars. Me, it's high-powered LED flashlights that have a polycarbonate tube attached. Isn't it just like a boomer to complain that a millennial's trying to, like, forget that the world's ending for five minutes like just let him make a lightsaber come on this week my thing because i like puzzles and i'm at fred meyer and i see a puzzle and it's like the world said there's no way chris pranger that you could be any nerdier and i said hold my edge pieces and i bought a (laughs) thousand piece puzzle of the periodic table of elements Yes, that's a good puzzle. That's excellent. Not even stylized. It's just, this is straight up just periodic table of elements. And it's thousand pieces. And I'm like, heck yeah, that's going to be great. That sounds really good. You know, when I picked up Fiona from daycare today, they had a thousand piece puzzle with various pictures of dogs pooping. And I thought I should steal this from them and give it to Chris. (laughs) <laughs> um, I really like that because I don't like dogs. I don't. I don't do dog puzzles. I have done a handful of cat puzzles recently. I got desperate when there were no puzzles anywhere. I purchased, like at a premium price, a three hundred piece cat puzzle, which is like <laughs> three hundred pieces. Like we're really scraping the bottom now. For me. What's, I was a, at, what's a premium <laughs> price for that? I want to know. Um. So. So premium, I mean, like expensive. So I got a 300 piece cat puzzle at Joanne Fabrics. Joanne's Fabrics? Yeah. Fabric it's a store that Joanne owns. Um, it, it was, I think, $13 for this 300 piece puzzle, which was high. Because generally, I can get puzzles for $11 for 500 to 1,000 pieces. So anything I would consider premium would be $16 or more. Um, the thousand piece Mario puzzle I got from Guardian Games was, um, that was, I think, $16. Um, and I was fine paying that because that's basically what you expect from USAopoly. Uh, but when you're getting some, like, for me, like, it, it generally I see that the pieces will increase the cost. So, thousand piece and 500 piece are usually the same price, but the 300 piece, the 200 piece was supposed to be cheaper. And like I don't go for two and three hundred pieces because they're they're too easy. Like, and the thing is, I finished um, the cat puzzle, three hundred piece cat puzzle, in an what did I do? It was an episode of John Oliver and an episode of Community. So in under an hour, I finished that. 
which is just a delightful juxtaposition of let's watch John Oliver explain how the country is on fire and rioting while I'm putting together a cute little kitten puzzle. Like, oh, well, yeah. this kitten's nose is over here. Oh, <laughs> is what's the, going on. Is there like a puzzle community lingo, like price for price for peace? There might be. I have not jumped into that because I was um, in... In February, I had uh, temp- I was tempted to join the Portland like jigsaw puzzle group. Like, there's a hobbyist group that meets like once a month, and I had intended to join that. Um, skipped the February month, and then March, the world ended. Basically, <laughs> and, and all the puzzles I- got sold out because everybody remembered that that was a thing. I. And- I every was Dollar one, Tree and all the puzzles were gone. Oh and Dollar Tree, like I've done, I've done some five hundred and thousand piece Dollar Tree puzzles. They're not good, um, <laughs> mostly because those ones, like the pictures themselves, are bland. But like I got one that was a carousel. It was a thousand piece carousel puzzle. Um, they're always missing pieces, and all the pieces are pretty uniform, which is actually really bad for a puzzle because it makes it really difficult to put it together. You really want variation in pieces. Like there are some companies that you, that you can get away with very uniform shapes, but that have enough variations within the shape that it still fits tight. With those Dollar Tree puzzles, it feels like they just have this one big stamp that they just go shunk, and they're all the same size piece, and you just have to really work through it. Which, if the puzzle's got enough variation in the picture, it's not impossible. But the edge pieces can be hell, and that's what I found with. Um, I had a, I, I got a Mass Effect puzzle that was based on Mass Effect 2, and I was really excited about it. And I thought, oh, this is cool. It's like Think Geek. This has got to be good, a thousand pieces. The picture is really cool. Then I opened the box, and I realized the pieces were super small. The cardboard was super thin. It was cut in such the weirdest way I've ever seen where it was just a bad, bad, bad puzzle. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was so disappointed that I put together the Mass Effect logo on the puzzle and then realize the rest of them like this is not a good puzzle i i, I basically gave it away at a garage sale like printed on recycled burger king wrapper that's the puzzle piece almost like it was really really poorly made like the, the the cardboard quality was too thin the problem is you want a thick cardboard piece so that your pieces stay connected and they feel like they connect you want yeah. some you want some some sturdiness to that piece. You don't want a piece that bends and flexes because that makes it so you'll act sometimes you'll jam a piece in and you'll realize, oh no, it wasn't supposed to go there. And then you've got a problem. But you like you need to have that if the pieces are are solid enough, you can tell when the piece is not right. And then you can also hold the pieces up to the light to see like, is any light coming through here? Cause if it is, it's pretty obvious that I have the wrong piece connected to the wrong piece. And oh, which I get thick, thick piece, yeah, thick piece. Now I have to ask, did you uh, do a, a negative review of this puzzle on your YouTube uh, page for your puzzle reviews? Which one? The, the mass effect one? Yeah. Yeah, this was a, this was like a year ago or more. Actually, yeah, over a year ago, I I did a little Twitter, you know, minor rant about it. It was like it was no good, and I moved on to another one. I generally like to do a little little video on each puzzle I do, just because it's like of all the stupid things. Right now, I think people will appreciate that I'm just like 
gonna do a stupid review of a puzzle today. I and... find it absolutely brilliant, and it reminds me of Community, where Leonard is doing his reviews of frozen pizza and potato chips. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I want to we... know. I want to know a universe where Chris did go to that jigsaw puzzle group in Portland, but he went to the wrong room, and it's the jigsaw group, and it's like they're all dressed. Like uh, characters from the movie, and they're all saying, "I want to play a game to each oh, other." Oh no! And that little puppet comes in on a bicycle, and I'm freaked out. I've brought like my favorite, like one of my favorite puzzles. It's got like a Houdini cat, like Houdini's cat, on a table with other like you know <laughs> magician illusions, and I'm like, they're like, "I want to play a game." I'm like, "Well, I don't know how you guys do your your puzzling, but I guess if we're gonna play a game, let's let's get let's get nuts." <laughs> I noticed that he's never killed anybody in any of those movies with anything resembling a jigsaw puzzle. I mean, I guess that's just, like, really obvious, though, right? Maybe. There's a new one of those that they made or something, like, within the Saw universe that was supposed to come out and got pushed back, right? Yeah, Chris Rock did it. That's right. I mean, he's, it's, he's, yeah, it's that one. I, I don't know if he's in it, but he, like, produced it. I feel of all the movies that have been pushed back, that's the one that they should just say, screw it and release it, because that would do probably better on video on demand than it would in the theater at this point, I think. I'm disappointed that they didn't get, like, someone didn't have the revelation of, like, why don't we make, like, a Showtime series based on Saw? And so that you just have, like, these quick you know, 40 minute episodes or, you know, 50 minute episodes, what, however long you want to make this thing where there's another person or people and they're trying to solve whatever. And, and it's always this, you know, interesting, ironic, you know. Oh, like, like it would be an anthology show. So every episode was a different person with their own story and a trap that is ironic in some way to them. Well, it's, it's procedural. So, like, you know, every episode you're going to get at least one trap or like or like a room full of traps that all mean something to someone and they have to get up. Basically, it's escape room. The, the you know, the show, which side note, have I ever told you that I want to make a Netflix series called Escape Room with David Harbour going around to various escape rooms around the country and doing like an escape room? Like each episode has like two escape rooms and he does. Yeah. Escape <laughs> with like randos who are there at that time and you get to see cool escape rooms and then they plug the escape rooms and then like that would be so really cool and it's so basically like guy fieri it's it's guy fieri's <laughs> show but instead of restaurants it's escape rooms and instead of guy fieri it's david harbour people would love it though who would yeah, not love it that sounds like a slam dunk to me to be honest i know and i don't know who i talk to about these things i tried tweeting at him a few times and he didn't tweet back <laughs> I don't think he does much tweeting these days. I know. I'm gonna check real quick to see if he's if he's got back to me after all these months. <laughs> yeah. No. That that I would watch that. I he mean, has. COVID? He has. He he has he, tweeted. He got back to you? No. <laughs> well, you saw who tweeted back to me, or at least liked my tweet. Who liked your tweet? Who was in the Shape of Water, and he was. The oh, Doug Jones. Doug Jones, I, I tweeted that, you know, he does a really good job in the new Star Trek show as mm -hmm. as the alien who's very tall and thin because that's what he does. And he liked it. 
And, you know, you get this rush of, oh, that actor who I otherwise would never have interacted with in any way read something I wrote and he liked it. And he kind of, you know, pushed the button of thank you. But then I remembered he was the pale man and he now knows I exist. (laughs) So I just imagine, you know, this weird, creepy, fleshy thing lifting his hands and eyeballs coming out of the palm. And that's that's the hand that hit the little heart on Twitter. I just know it. I'll be honest. I can, I can handle the pale man more than I can handle that clown that he played in Batman returns. Cause that creeped me out as a child <laughs> clown from Batman returns. Yeah. That was one of his early things. He's the clown that like does a bunch of backflips into the mayor's press conference and steals the mayor's baby. He's got that great line. He's like, I'm not one for speeches. So I'll just say thanks. What? Yeah, that's Doug Jones. I got to go back and watch that for many reasons now. <laughs> Unless I'm wrong, in which case I'm cutting all this out of the podcast. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, though. Well, he's he's just always a delight. And I think there could have been a great No Right Answer episode of best movement actor between between Doug Jones and Andy Serkis. That's a good, game. yeah, that's a good idea. And speaking of Andy Circus, I just finished reading Charlie the Hobbit. Yay. Which was the awesome. first time I read the whole thing since uh, fifth grade. So that was quite an experience to get through that. And naturally, I did as many voices as I could. I did not attempt Gollum's voice, though, because <laughs> that I'm not I'm just not built for Gollum. I definitely attempted everyone else's voices. though, And in the ones that I had to do a lot, I kind of made sure that I could do it. It's like Bilbo was like my standard voice, like just pretty like he's, you know, I'm Bilbo. I'm doing stuff. Thorin had to be a little rougher than anything else. And like the king of the elves was a little higher. Sure. And it was tricky because I'm trying to emulate Ian McKellen in some ways, but you can't you can't emulate Sir Ian properly so gandalf talked more like this all the time very serious and i love that even to the very end i would say a name and charlie's like wait who's gandalf i'm like gandalf is the wizard gandalf's the wizard like yes but what i thought the wizard died no thorin died who was thorin he was the dwarf i thought i thought bilbo was the dwarf bilbo is the hobbit what is a hobbit <laughs> he enjoyed the book. Like he did, it wasn't like I was forcing him to listen to it. He enjoyed it thoroughly. And now we've moved on to Lord of the Rings, and so we started. Uh, we've started the Fellowship of the Ring um, these last last week, and <laughs> he had to sit through the prologue. And I didn't know because I've never actually read the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and so I didn't realize that the Fellowship of the Ring opens with this like twenty-page prologue that's just like. On hobbits, on the finding of the ring, on pipeweed in Hobbiton, and and like all of this historical stuff that is fascinating, and me and Shrey are enjoying it as I'm reading through it. But Charlie, like after I finish it, I'm like, ah, now we can finally get on to the next story, like the full story. And he's like, oh, well, that's good because that was a pretty bad story. I'm like, well, that wasn't really the story. <laughs> that was me shotgunning names at you of things that you have no context of. And- <laughs> You will not remember. You will not remember a brandy buck from a, you know, from a toque. All I know is that uh, there are some proud feet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Those feet are proud. We waited through one 
uh, of the three Lord of the Rings movies, and and Liam was on board. He kept saying, because of course I've got the extended editions, because that's the only way to do it, and they're like three, four-hour movies. So they're split onto two DVDs, and we had to watch one DVD a night, and he kept saying, oh, let's, let's watch the next DVD tonight. And, you know, Bree and, and Fiona are both, no! <laughs> Gotta find a several hour block where they're not in the house which doesn't exist anymore because nobody goes anywhere but uh yeah he was he was pretty interested i worry about lord of the rings books though because i'm terrible with names and and names of people names of places and it seems to me that without the visual context that is a book of nothing but names and places Oh, yeah. I mean, I struggled watching Game of Thrones and I had a visual to, to try to follow the names. I couldn't follow the first two seasons uh, when I first watched the show. And it didn't take until like I had watched through season four and five when I actually knew when all the characters were. So when I rewatched, it, I understood what they're talking about. And yeah, reading through The Hobbit, it helps that I know all the characters. And the same with Lord of the Rings. I know all the like the important characters. So if something pops up that I don't know who they are because they weren't in the movie, I'm fine just faking my way through it because I'm like, I'm going to have the main names and places right. I'm going <laughs> to get through this. It'll be fine. I got to, I, yeah, I just have to prepare myself to do Gimli's voice and I'm excited for that. Gimli See, keeps talking about, about doing... sliding. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's hanging out with the kid from Stand By Me. There you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it when you can talk in reference. Where everything is not quite right, but at the same time, very deeply correct. <laughs> Wait a minute, wasn't that Dwarves and Raiders of the Lost Ark? <laughs> the ride at Disneyland, too. I remember him being taller in that movie. You're, you're correct, Charlie. He was, he was a lot taller in that movie. <laughs> he's like eight feet tall. He's so tall. <laughs> Why'd they pick him to be the dwarf? I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's the thing about the Hobbit that's really rough trying to read it with different voices is that, uh, so many, so many dwarves, so many dwarves. Oh yeah. I, the thing is like, and you can't remember which one or which you remember Feely and Keely are the young ones. So you kind of give them a younger, a younger, sillier dwarf voice. Um, Dwalin and Balin, you know, cause they come up a lot. So they're a little gruffer and older. I think it was, uh, is Balin was the oldest one. So I kind of had an old dwarf, but like Bomber was the easiest one because Bomber is just big old. He's big fat Bomber. <laughs> he's just those explosive bees from Patton Oswald. Exactly. So it was like, oh, good Bomber. And Bomber actually gets a, probably almost second most screen time to Thorin in the book because Bomber is always like, Bomber fell into the water. Uh-oh, look what Fatty did this time. And he has no lines at all in the movies, by the way. We recently went through all three of the Hobbit movies. There's um, three. Mo- there are. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Ros- Rosalie has been giving me crap for, oh, about 10 years now. Because we went to see the first one on a date. We went to see the second one on a date. The third one came around and my dad and my stepbrother wanted to go see it with me so that they could ask me questions. <laughs> That's usually my role with my stepbrother whenever he's in town is he'll be like, hey, uh, 
new Star Wars movie or hey, the Justice League. Let's go see that because I want to ask you questions about something stupid that I don't get. I'm like, hey, I'm here to help. That's fine. <laughs> but I didn't go to the third one with Rosalie that that time. And she missed out on it in the theaters and has blamed me for about 10 years now. However long those movies have been out. Seems like a reasonable grudge. Yeah, the thing, right, like the is... most ridiculous of grudges, because by the time that third one rolls around, it's like, eh, you're fine. <laughs> I, I actually like I, I spit out my pipe weed when I realized just how long ago the first Hobbit movie was. Yeah, that was um, 2012, right? 2012. And I'm like, excuse me, this was eight years ago. When did that happen? Oh, it was done. Yeah, I got married in 2012. That seems like forever ago. Yeah, and like, I, yeah, the the first Lord of the Rings movie would have been in 2001, and I'm yeah. just like, wow, these movies are almost 20 years old. Yeah, and, well, I mean, you want and, another blast from the past? Is I watched all those Pirates of the Caribbean movies, and that fifth one only came out in 2017. Wow, there's five. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> there are. Oh yeah, I I got in the dinghy and rode away after the third one. I hated that third one so oh, bad. Yeah, the third the th going through all of them. And I'll say this, and I'll be very quick about it. The first one, I still think that's a good movie. I still think it holds up. Uh, you know, it's it's not it's not as well remembered as it probably should be, but it's a good it's a good fun action movie. If they had kept it at just the first one, that would have been fine. The, the second one and the third one are, they've got that same problem that the Matrix sequels have where they tried to make everything too big and lore and epic. And I just, that's not what this is. That's not what this is for. It's not Lord of the Rings. It's pirates. And don't do that. The fourth one is a god awful mess. It's the worst one, I think. It's just joyless. Nobody seems like they want to be there, including Johnny Depp. It just feels like, well, we're doing these. We're doing this one, I guess. And the fifth one, maybe because my expectations were so low, I was like, eh, it's fine. It's <laughs> it's not it's not I'm never going to watch it again. I'll be honest. But I didn't feel like I had wasted time. And Here's the thing, that fourth one, I, I watch these with the kids because I'm I'm a very questionable parent. <laughs> and the first one, it's like my, my son was all in. He's like pirates, zombie pirates, a curse. There's gold. This is it's everything they need to be. There's a naval battle. There's <laughs> sword fights. This is a this is a dang pirate movie. And Jack Sparrow's funny and there's a monkey, this, that and the other. It's fine. Maybe 15 minutes into that second one, his eyes glazed over and he's like, what's happening? And I had to explain every scene to the whole family for the second and third ones. And then we got to that fourth one and that movie took three sittings to finish. It's so long and it's so joyless and it's such a slog and by the time we got to like mermaids exploding, my son was just like, you know, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> I, I don't need to watch this. And then I turned on the fifth one. Everyone left the room and I sat and watched that fifth one by myself for two hours. So a happy accident. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, no, I, I, I could not believe it that that was 2017, and Orlando Bloom is in it, and I'm like, boy, wow. he's looking kind of old. And then I realized, oh yeah, Lord of the Rings was 20 years ago. <laughs> I I have gotten to the point where there is so much between all of the different streaming platforms that I'm like, I don't have to ever watch a movie that I don't ever want to watch. And I have I have had to teach myself specifically with video games that if I'm not enjoying a video game, I don't have to keep playing it just because I feel like I need to finish this thing. So there's some games that I've just stopped playing. I'm like, hey, I don't have to keep doing that. That's that feels good. That's that's fine. That's OK. I can move on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I can do that. The skill with to games. pull away from the time sink fallacy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I can do that with games pretty easily because usually if I'm not enjoying it, it's because I suck at it. So I don't want to just die over and over again. Yeah. But with movies and TV, it's harder for me because I will finish a season of television to see if they pull it together. Like I went through all of and this is a bad example because I didn't even hate the show, but Iron Fist, that <laughs> first season, I'm midway through it and I'm like, I don't know if I can handle the rest of this, but uh, lo and behold, the last couple episodes of that season are better than the first couple. Mm. But speaking of TV shows, uh, I did finish Community, which we talked about a little last time. Yeah, and I'm now uh, midway through season five. So spoilers for Community happen now. If anyone has not seen Community and is wanting to know, not know what happens in Community. Dan, are you are you? You, Not that it's up? a big mystery or anything. It's a hangout show. Yeah, I, a... I'm okay with spoilers. Okay. Yeah, I just finished the episode where um, where Donald Glover's character, Troy, leaves the show. And man, that's like the finale. I mean, I don't know. I don't really want to keep going because I'm like, well, the heart just left the show. Yes and no. I, I would say definitely the show is worse off for losing him. Mm -hmm. I, I honestly, my big takeaway from rewatching the show, and this was my first rewatch of it since, like, I dropped off after the end of season three and I never picked it up again. So mm -hmm. I had never seen four, five, and six. And it's funny because that's a definite break in the show. One, two, and three are so different from four, five, and six because of the cast shakeups, Dan Harmon gets fired, he gets rehired, but yep. yeah, you lose Donald Glover and a lot of the flavor of the show is gone, but I would argue that the show had to find a lot more collective heart because <laughs> of his absence and it does show through. Like there's a lot more affection thrown around to like Gillian Jacobs, Yvette Nicole Brown, who also takes off eventually. Okay. But you know, it's it's funny of all the cast shakeups on that show. The only person who left the show on not good terms was Chevy Chase. Everyone yeah, else is a case of like, look, I got to go. Yeah, you got to go. And we understand. And it's never done in a bad way again. Yeah, it's it, it's been fascinating because when I first watched it, I had watched seasons one and two, and I actually have seasons one and two on, on DVD, which I think I got for Christmas one year. And that's actually why I watched that. Um, 
because I initially had tried to watch it on on cable or back when I had cable and, and like regular TV watching. And then as soon as I cut out cable, I just stopped watching network television as well. Um, and so I had watched the first two seasons and I thought this is pretty good. It's going to be really difficult to beat season two. And I had heard that the series went downhill after that. And I didn't know that most people thought it went downhill in season four. Um, and it's a shame because season three is probably my favorite um, just because of the like the way that they tie in everything in season three, um, where all the different plot lines are coming together in a, a way that felt pretty well done. Like over the course of the season, you've got the air conditioner repair uh, magnet school that is this interesting lore that's going on. Like they do amazing world building in a show that you wouldn't expect to do world building in. Yeah. Um, and they took, a, they took a lot of risks in season three for the concept episodes too. They did. They, they went out there and, and really went for it. And I loved that finale where Troy like pretty much comes in his own and that where I am, I am the repair man of men. Like, Oh, <laughs> it's, it's a great moment just to see him like, be so skilled at something so effortlessly. Like I just loved seeing that character come completely into this like realization of who he needs to be. And I mean, he's the character that showed the most growth over the series. Um, they tried to say that Joel got a lot of growth out of him, but he, he goes up and down based on what they need for that episode. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. There's some inconsistency with Joel McHale's character because he will, revert back to like you know it's it's funny you know there's that term of who's holding the idiot ball on a, a more serious show lost that had that problem like yep. yeah lost had that big problem of this episode we just need this one person to be a little bit dumber for this plot to work and mm -hmm. the idiot ball bounce bounces around a lot on shows like that or shows like heroes where I always, God, I always bring it back to heroes. I don't know why that show is just a perfect example of great concept, poor execution almost all the time. But yeah, but on community, it's definitely a case of there's not an idiot ball so much as there's a jerk ball. Somebody mm -hmm. has somebody's morals have to cave a lot per episode. And luckily, because of those characters and because the general theme of the show is hey, we all kind of suck. Let's try to suck less together. Mm -hmm. It kind of works, but, you know, it's it's really funny. I, I did fi uh, finally watch that, uh, that Zoom call uh, that happened a couple weeks ago of the whole cast doing a table read of an episode from season five. Mm. And I just watched that, like, today. And it's it's really weird seeing seeing them talk about their characters and they, they have a, a good grasp on this is where my character kind of grew up a little. And that stuff doesn't fly as well past this point in the show. Mm -hmm. And that episode, coincidentally, the one that they did a table read of is the one where they air a lot of dirty laundry, where you kind of get a good illustration of how bad of a person each one of them can be. Was that the one where where um, Pierce died and it was his will? Yeah, yeah, it was the uh, the polygraph will reading yeah. episode. Yeah, that one yesterday, and yeah. and that was a pretty good episode. And also, 
it's a hilarious middle finger to Chevy Chase in this at the same time where like his character gets this amazing send off. It's very heartfelt, but none of it is given to his character. It like it feels like there's this heartfelt send off to this, you know, this guy who's he's part of the, you know, the the central cast. It's part of the Greendale seven. And yeah. and it's like, OK, the, you know, he's he's important, but also he's not important. He's so not important that he's not even in his own goodbye episode. Um, he, they're, they're, they all get these heartfelt moments about around him. And of course, the ultimate like screw you is, oh, by the way, you know, this running gag of everyone is, is bequeathed a, a vat of his his semen, you know, in case they for some, you know, it starts as a, as a simple joke. And then the, the, this running gag just keeps going. Where everyone seems to get this at the end of what they receive. Oh man, the um, best part of the the table read Zoom call is that they they couldn't get back Walton Goggins to play the the lawyer reading out the will. He was busy, so they bring in Pedro Pascal from The Mandalorian, <laughs> and he is playing it so dead faced, so perfectly, exactly the way the character is written. Right nice. up until he says the word semen for the first time, and clearly <laughs> he didn't read ahead. <laughs> because it catches him so by surprise and he busts a gut laughing and he doesn't stop until the semen joke ends. <laughs> He's laughing through every single line from then on. And he, he pauses and asks, how did you guys do this? <laughs> and that the, the punchline to that whole episode where it's like, how did Pierce die? Oh, that's the funny story is he died of dehydration, filling those, those canisters. <laughs> You're just like, wow, that had to be like Dan Harmon, just like, screw you, Chevy Chase. I not only killed your character, but I gave him a like the stupidest way for his character to have died off screen. Well, in, in perfect Dan Harmon fashion, he uses the character of Pierce at, in that episode, in his farewell episode, as a redirection. Like he takes he takes Pierce's weird energy with each character and uses it to direct it into something positive about each of them. Like, you know, like instead, instead of ending it on just like a crappy, like, Hey, I hated you for this reason. I hated you for this reason. It's Pierce finally acknowledging like, Hey, I might've hated you for this reason, but also I admired you for this. Like Dan Harmon uses that script in order to say something great about each character and in turn each actor and he uses the dead the guy that they had to kill off because they didn't get along to do mm -hmm. that it's it's something it's yeah it's a good show i love it i really do because like now that i've given it more of a chance and well and I'll, i will say this i think that you are going to like uh see the the rest of season five and uh season six more than you expect because mm -hmm. the new characters that they add, none of them are big breakout characters. There's not, nobody's trying to be a new Troy or a new Abed or even a new Pierce. Mm -hmm. Instead, like they have three big main characters that they add to the show over the course of the rest of it from where you're at. There's uh, Mike from Breaking Bad, who yep. is uh, Mr. He, I like so far because he's, it's like, oh, is he going to be another Pierce? Like, no, he's not. He's the old guy, but he's like a different energy entirely. Yeah, and he he can be silly, but he's mostly there to to be a grounding presence, which the show kind of needs. 
Yeah. And then eventually Keith David shows up as Elroy. And that's also like yet another flavor of, all right, is he, is he's another old guy? Is he going to be like the last two old guys? And the answer is no, not at all. He's a completely different character. And he feels a little bit more like a natural character on community. He's eccentric in a Pierce way, but he is more grounded in a Buzz Hickey way. And, and then sexy voice. Well, that too. And they have him dressed so stylishly in his episodes. But Wait, doesn't I've, that I've, break the wall, though? Break what because, wall? Well, I was just thinking, Abed loved the cape, the show, the cape <laughs> that Keith David was in. Well, yeah, that's part of that. I mean, they don't actually acknowledge that with a joke, I don't think. I'm not sure if they actually make reference to the cape. I liked the cape. I thought it was fun. (laughs) I'm sorry that it didn't go anywhere because it did two things that were really good. One, it said, well, the cape is made of spider silk and it is tough to make it. That's why there's only one. And I'm like, all right, on board. Got it. And two... They did all this big billing that like, oh, Keith David is in it. And and I'm like, all right, I like him. Let's let's see what we got. And at the end of the first episode, he he does his big death scene and he dies. I'm like, wow, I, I really was... wish that they would that they would stream the case. Well, it was gutsy to kill him. But then he he didn't die. He like he's like lying on his back and the guys holding him was like, oh, oh, here's my final words. Blah. And then you just hold on it. And then he just gets up. He's like, oh. I really thought I was dying there. Damn. I mean, th- I thought that was a really good death scene right there. And <laughs> it just breaks the fourth wall. But then you as the audience are like, oh, okay, this is going to be a fun show. That show took a lot of, it took a lot of guts to make a show that was as earnestly comic booky as that one. It's almost like, I'm going to bring up Heroes again, damn it. I'm so sorry. Oh, no. Uh, but like Heroes is a show that started with so much like, this is a comic book show, but if it was uh, an important mystery show, like picture lost, but it's a comic book, that's what we're doing. And over the course of only like two seasons, they were like, Hey, eh, you don't have to pay that much attention to comic books. I, I know we started with that, but eh, maybe that was a bad idea. <laughs> And then the cape comes out only like maybe a year after Heroes ended. And it's like, no, we're going for it. We're doing comic book origin story, very Silver Age, very like, you know, square jaw, smiley Batman kind of show. And we're we're going to be fine with it being goofy and and painfully earnest. And it was all of those things. I didn't see past the first episode. I I'm be interested to go back and rewatch without any expectations. I'd probably like it a lot better. It was a prototype of the Arrowverse, really. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I, yeah. I would say I would say a lot of what the Arrowverse does right, the Cape probably who knows would have done it that right if they had been allowed to go longer than 6 episodes. But anyways, uh, yeah, no, I mean, Keith David's fun for his one season. I have just learned, because I was looking up Jim Rash, because he's so good as Dean Pendleton. 
um, hilarious character, like very underrated, I think, until like you get to a point you're like, wait a minute, this actor, and I'm glad they started giving him like credits billing in the, in the, the intro. Um, oh yeah. He's one of the unsung heroes of the show. Yeah. And I didn't realize, like, I'm looking up like, what else has he done? I was like, oh, he is, he's, he's gyro gear loose in the current DuckTales show. Uh, and he is also the Riddler in Harley Quinn. And I did not that realize that. Casting. Mm-hmm. I, you can not, can't not hear him. Yeah. Oh man. Part, that is well, the uh, one other thing about Jim, about Jim Rash is that he's an Oscar winner. Is he really? He he co-wrote the screenplay for I I'm I hope I'm getting it right, but it's uh, the Descendants. That Descendants. I think I I'm uh, pretty sure it was that that uh like dramedy with uh, George Clooney, where he's like a dad, like a bad dad, yeah. rich dad kind of thing. I didn't see That's... it to be honest. But uh, yeah, he co-wrote that and it won Best Original Screenplay. So he is an Oscar winner and he won that <laughs> during the last episodes of the show. <laughs> so there there was, I saw, I've been watching blooper reels too. And there's a blooper where he misses his mark to enter the study room and everyone's waiting for him to enter, you know, doing one of his big Dean entrances. And he misses the mark and you hear somebody off screen shout, where's Jim? And I think it was Joel McHale or somebody's like, somebody's thinking less about his cue and more about his Oscar luncheon. <laughs> <laughs> like they, they give him crap for being an Oscar winner the same way everybody gives Donald Glover crap for being so insanely, uh, you know, successful mm-hmm. at everything he does. It's uh, the, I think the thing that I loved a lot about the last season or two of the show and that Zoom call that I watched is the, whether or not everybody stay, sticks around for the entire show, they there are no grudges. They don't seem to they seem to genuinely love just being with each other and hanging out. And that's what the show ended up being about it. You know, the first couple of seasons, you think, OK, are they going to have a ongoing love plot? Are they going to try you know, for a while there, it's like, okay, we're going to have the, the AC school, uh, you know, continuing plot. And they try that stuff out, but ultimately the show ends up just being character driven, relationship driven, but not romantic relationship driven, mm-hmm. uh, despite it, season four's best efforts. <laughs> they thankfully didn't really do the will they, won't they, other than like as a gag more than anything. Yeah, and eventually that does get its uh that does get a natural like button on it by the end of the show that I appreciated because it didn't require it didn't require any strained like you know, I think of like the last season of Friends when suddenly they're like, uh oh, we're panicking, we don't know what to do plot wise with this show and we're wrapping up. Uh these two characters will get together, maybe. No, that doesn't work. Okay, we'll get these two back together then. It's like the community never had to do any of that. They're just they just full on like they even openly mock when they tried to do that. I mean, mostly yeah. because Dan Harmon likes to mock season four. <laughs> and, and he likes and, to mock tropes. Well, yeah, yeah and season four is 
earnestly tries some of those tropes because he's not there to rein it in and and deconstruct those things. That was what the show was always about was let's be a an ultimately pretty standard, pretty conventional hangout sitcom. But our method for for getting away with that is by deconstructing all of the usual junk that everybody can recognize now. And as soon as Dan Harmon was fired, season four is not a train wreck. It's not God awful. The thing about season four that got me is that while season three had a really great continuing plot line with the air conditioning repair school, which felt silly in, but it felt like the same silly that was believable. Like, yeah, I can believe that there's a whole society of air conditioner repairmen who I have this weird cultish, you know, almost, you know, Freemason style, um, you know, stone cutters kind of thing going on. And, Whereas, well, and they, and they built up to that too. They didn't dive right yeah. into it. They, they dipped their toe in the water with, by the way, this exists. And, and John Goodman is the head of it and he's slightly sinister. Yeah. And then they built up to the stone cutter stuff. They did. And so they did a great job with that. Um, you know, making these little jokes here and there, building out this world. Whereas season four attempts a through line through the season with the um, the alternate reality of like the dark universe or the dark timeline, um, which I thought was that's when it kind of went from the realm of like, so this is funny jokey to like, is it just super supernatural stuff? Is, is are we in sci-fi territory? Is it fantasy? Like I stopped actually understanding because they had everything that had been grounded in a relative, you know, an absurdist reality, but still like this is believable that this could exist until we got to oh we're we're teleporting between alternate realities. And granted, I know that the resolution of that season was all like a figment of Joel's imagination, but at the same time. Abed is weird enough that it wasn't clear whether some of that stuff actually was made up or not. The fact that he swaps with evil Abed a few times. Well, and like, that was a, that was a thing that I think season four pushed a little too hard was the fact that Abed's imagination and his coping mechanisms were becoming used as a device to, to, to make a high concept episode or to yeah. push that through line or to or to hammer home an emotional context of something. Whereas you go back to like the very early episodes, like it might even be the pilot where somebody just kind of offhandedly says like this guy doesn't understand TV from reality and and then you and then they just move on to the next thing. And I think Abed kind of undercuts that line by saying like, I understand the difference between TV and reality and you should try not being a jerk. Mm-hmm. Like I, I liked the idea that Abed has agency over his coping mechanisms and his imagination. Yeah, I, I really didn't like how season four pushed a little too hard on everybody being just a little bit too, a little bit too sweetly patronizing to him, mm-hmm. and it, it kind of made him into a burden character. Yeah. It, it bugged me a little bit, but I, w- I will say it functions better as a season than parts of season five do because season five is like half of it is we got to clean up a lot of messes. Yeah. 
but ultimately it's a good show and i and i do have to mention paget brewster being introduced for season six uh very oddly it's a daring idea to introduce a character like her and make it not like okay she's her own character with her own foibles and her own weird sensibilities and things that we have to get used to and things that we're going to grow to love because there's 12 episodes 13 episodes of the season we don't have time to introduce that character and grow to love her so they just introduce her as look no she's a person that they that they work with now and they can be friends with her but she's not she's not one of the greendale seven and she never pretends to be she's not a lovable goofball with weird things she's just a normal person who is mostly there to start the plot or react to their weirdness and her refusal to get sucked into the nonsense is kind of what sets her apart from everybody else. Speaking of nonsense, after our podcast last time, I took a little depression-fueled stroll to the grocery outlet and bought the weirdest cereals I could find. <laughs> and, then, and then I ate them. And I, <laughs> I am here to tell you the tale. Tell yes. us the tale. What did you buy, Dan? I I did see your Fruit Loop, or what was it? Lucky Charm Frosted Flakes. I saw that. And I oh, thought Lucky Charm Extremely lazy because they didn't do anything to either cereal. They just slapped them together and, you know, went on Fiverr and had somebody merge the cover art. So, so I said, no to Frosted Flakes Lucky Charms is my new favorite cereal. It was so good. No, your opinions are bad. But then I... <laughs> <laughs> I you know, You're it's the texture of the cereal. Bad. Right. It's this, the texture of the cereal marshmallows, I, I, it doesn't work for me. But then I saw birthday cake Fruit Loops, and I thought, all right, maybe, but let's see what other, you know, diabetes pills you can give me. And then I found two that caught my eye. One, because it was on sale, and two, because uh, it just looked like it was going to be fun. So I got a box of cookies and cream Pop-Tart cereal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it, I'll just go into that one before I get to the other one because the other one's the main event. The cookies and cream pop tart cereal. First of all, not enough cream in the middle. I would have liked more cream. <laughs> <laughs> Extremely sugary. Like they're not pretending ah. this is a breakfast cereal. This is a dessert and possibly an industrial paint solvent. But it was. <laughs> It was sweet. It was crunchy in the this isn't going to get soggy, even though it probably scientifically should sort of way. Very nice. Family size, all in my tummy, gained some weight, moving on. The second cereal was drumstick cereal. And yes. by drumstick, I, I mean the ice cream cone. Yeah, yeah. I saw, I've seen this on the shelves, and I was curious. And so this particular drumstick, in quotes was the mint ice cream version covered in chocolate. So it's when you eat it, you're supposed to have the mouth feel of a mint ice cream, you know, ice cream cone covered in chocolate. And so there's three different pieces that represent the three elements of 
the ice cream cone. You've got the cone, which was being uh, presented by basically Golden Graham. So mm. you, it had Golden Grahams in it. They don't call them Golden Grahams, but I know Golden Graham. Don't insult me. It was Golden Graham. The chocolate coating was basically Cocoa Puffs. Again, they didn't call it Cocoa Puffs. Shut up. It's a Cocoa Puff. It's, it's, <laughs> it looks like it. It tastes like it. So right there, they could have called it a day. Just chocolate and graham cracker pieces together. But the mint ice cream was these M&M sized and pretty much M&M shaped, except less of a taper near the edges, lime green, softer than the golden graham, but still somehow crunchy with Mm. the faintest flavor of mint. I do not know what it's made of. I think scientists should study it. But (laughs) when you put it all together and you chew it and then you kind of breathe through your nose, you're like, yeah, it's kind of a mint drumstick. All right. You kind of have to inhale it from the entire aroma like a like a goblet of wine. Yeah, because if you're just eating it, the mint isn't strong enough. The chocolate barely registers. You're basically eating golden grams with like an aftertaste of maybe mint. But it's it's all in the smell. I really don't want to mix mint with with like milk. And I just the the whole idea of mint in cereal sounds bad to me. Well, mint ice cream is mint with milk. What do you mean? Don't mix it. Okay, but it's also cold. So that works with mint. I mean, yeah, cereal generally is cold, as cold as your milk can get. But I just like I, I get the idea, the the feeling in my brain of like the, as as the milk stays in the bowl and things get a little soggy if you're going slow with it. It just seems like a bad choice. Well, it was interesting, less sweet than the pop tart cereal. This one kind of had machinations that maybe if you were in a rush, you could eat it for breakfast and not pass out. The Pop-Tart one was pure. You're eating this after dinner and anywhere else you're going to feel ashamed of yourself, which is why I went back and got the strawberry Pop-Tart version. Haven't tried that yet, but, you know, if return business is a sign of success, then Pop-Tarts turned into a breakfast cereal is uh, is the winner. That's a good review right there. Mm-hmm. My my current endeavor is almost like trying a crazy cereal because it's anime. And I, I want you to diagram how that is that. Because uh, so we had to segue some way. Uh, oh, okay. Well, it gives you, you diabetes. I, I don't. <laughs> so like, so recently I had seen a video um, on a YouTube channel that I frequented a lot. Uh, usually talks about Dragon Ball Z stuff and and all that. Well, this this guy decided he's going to jump into One Piece, the epic pirate anime slash manga story. Um, and I had I've attempted the show twice now. This is my third attempt to actually get into the show. And this time I finally like it's one one of those where you have to get a running start. You can't just watch it and then be like, oh, OK, like you got to try a few times because um, the first time I saw it, it was definitely the uh, the four kids version, which it's like infamously shredded by with censorship because the show is not. It's like a classic anime, like a shonen type anime where it's silly and slapstick. And 
but it's like you know it's an anime so it's pirates they got guns and there's guns being pointed at each other and guns being shot frequently sometimes at and into people and the show the four kids version like removes all the guns so at one point there's this really great shot and i think like the second episode where a guy's supposed to be pointing you know you know a flintlock pistol at this character and he's like don't move or i'm gonna shoot him in the head basically and they changed they they edited this whole frame so that instead of a flintlock pistol he's holding a like the handle of a pistol but it's attached to this weird like hammer mechanism so it looks like a big silly hammer attached to like a to like a pistol handle so it's like a hammer pistol and it's like say what you're gonna click it you're gonna bonk him with the hammer like nobody move i'm gonna bonk him with this comically like ridiculous hammer thing it's it's like think of how silly et's read uh read like the edits in et look when all of the fbi officers point their walkie talkies makes me so mad yeah at, at elliot and et it's like that but like they just thought what if we didn't make any sense at all let's just go for it uh it's like so delightfully bad where the show is beloved and i have so i'm i finished the first season on hulu as they call a season which was 53 episodes oh god and and um and um dan it has 11 seasons on hulu a season 11 has 122 episodes in it which i don't think is how seasons work anime that's I That's think not you how the planets rotate. <laughs> I think you have mislabeled a season. It's like here's here's the first ten seasons and all the rest of the episode shoved. Like, what are you doing? So I'm, I'm 53 plus episodes in. I've I've started into season two, and I can see exactly what people love about it. It's great. It's fun. Like it is well written. The characters, because the whole point of at least the first season so far is establishing the world, which is there's a pirate world. And like at a certain point, like to start the story off in like the, the, the larger narrative, uh, the best pirate ever, the king of pirates, his name was Gold Roger, um, is executed. And right before he's executed, he claims that he found like every all he was the best pirate ever. So he pretty much has everything the world ever had to offer. And he's like everything that the world has, I have, I found and it's yours if you can find it. And that's the one piece like it's this is his this is the treasure. And so it's kicks off this great they call it the great pirate era um, where every like pirates like take to the seas to try to find this mythical, like perfect treasure. And we cut to much later into this era, like 20 years after that, with this character named Monkey uh, Monkey D. Luffy, who is a rubber man. He's eaten the gum gum fruit. This is devil fruit. And so he's made, he's basically rubber and he can stretch his body and do rubbery things. And they get a lot out of that. And I'm very surprised that he can do that. And all these different pirates finding like a lot of, it's like, who's the flavor of the week? Oh, this pirate has eaten the chop chop fruit. So he can like segment his body and he can't be sliced and killed because he can have his body fall apart. And in like every different, like arc you find someone new you're like who what kind of fruit did these people eat the thing is that once you eat these fruits you get these superpowers but also because the sea like hates you for eating these fruits you learn you lose the ability to swim so it's kind of ironic that all these pirates can't swim like if they fall into water they immediately just drown basically okay stop right there dan 
Where are you at? Are you okay? <laughs> I mean, I've got a paper bag here that I'm breathing into, but... <laughs> so, hold on, I no, gotta. I watched, I watched Doom Patrol over the past, <laughs> so I've I've got plenty of surreal. What did I just watch? They have a gender queer sentient street, like road with buildings. In total, has a conscience that is gender queer, and it's got a bunch of people living there, and they go to cabaret. And they're drag queens, and they're just enjoying themselves. And then when you walk down the street, and you say, "Hi, Danny," because that's the name of the sentient street is Danny, and the, then like a street sign will say, "Hi, how are you?" And then like one of those wacky wailing inflatable tube men will have words <laughs> on it saying, "You know, what do you want to do today?" And it's just that, that. How can you not love that? Okay, so you're you're a little bit calibrated for this conversation. Yeah, I don't know what fruit Danny ate, but I do know <laughs> that, that I just enjoyed it very much. I'll have to give that a shot. I've got the HBO Max, so the first season of that's on there. And the second one drops in a few days. And One Piece is on Netflix, is it not, Chris? What's that? One Piece is on Netflix at this point? Yes, they did. They did push. Um, so Hulu has eleven seasons worth, which is, by the way, Dan. Um, I know in Japan they're up to like episode nine hundred plus, and uh, Hulu has like episode three hundred or eight hundred fifty plus. Um, Netflix has four seasons, maybe a hundred plus episodes, but they actually have the English dub version. Um, that Funimation did, which I'm a little like, oh, I wish I'd known that first because I prefer the dub version because it's easier. Because if I'm, I don't mind the sub so much because it's it's interesting to to read through and hear the original voices, but it's so much reading that means I can't do anything else when I'm because I have to be reading, I have to be watching the screen actively to read. Yeah. Um, but Netflix does have it because Netflix is getting the rights, and I think a lot of it's also going to trans over to transition to Netflix soon because Netflix got the rights to do a live action show, which is like. Having seen the 50-some episodes I've seen, I'm like, Netflix is going to screw this up. Like, there's no possible way <laughs> could screw this up. Like, they're well, going to, like... Didn't they, didn't they do a live-action version of, like, Bleach or some other beloved show like that? And they it, did a live-action movie of Death Note, and everyone collectively threw up in their mouths because... And I haven't seen it. It's like, why did you do? Like, why did you do that? It's almost like uh, years back when they had all joked about... Um, everyone has been like all these different series have been trying to do a live action movie of Akira, which is such a freaking good movie and like revolutionary in animation style and storytelling. Just so good. Such a good cyberpunk movie. And people have been trying to modernize it for American audiences for years. And every time someone attempts it, they never get off the ground because they realize how much money it's going to cost. It's like a billion dollars to make this movie or something more like it's insane how big the budget has to be and how much they have to sacrifice. And they realize like, there's no way this is going to make anywhere near back what it needs to. Well, and no, I mean, uh, Blade Runner 2049 kind of proves that you can't make a big gigantic, like quarter of a billion dollar cyberpunk R rated, you know, brood yeah. brood movie and expect people to come in droves. That movie made no money at all. It's and terrific. It was so good. Yeah. 
oh, it's amazing, but nobody went to see it in the theater because who's going to show up for three hours of that? Yeah, it is like, that's that's what they have to do with Akira. And there were all these great jokes. Like I saw one, someone did his animation of like, American Akira's coming. And, and like with, with Leonardo DiCaprio, is Ganida. And like, changing they're like he's gonna it's kevin instead of kind of like he's gotta he's gotta win the talent show guys it's so that we can save this donut shop and it's like yeah and it's like all these stupid american stereotypes and the jacket that he has is now an american flag jacket it's like oh oh god and you know it's all a joke but the thing is like that that parody of like what Americans would do to something as beloved as Akira. Netflix did that to Death Note, which is a really freaking good anime, which I loved. And they took it and they said, what if we didn't listen to any of the reasons that the anime was good and just made up our own stuff? Let's rename characters. Let's set it in the United States instead of in Japan. And do all of these things that's like you're stretching it too far buddy boys like what are you doing like why and i always get confused like every time i've seen them attempt this with anime they always make these same mistakes where someone gets it and they it sounds like oh someone wants to do a big budget anime like live action anime interpretation of this thing such as dragon ball when you dragon ball evolution it's like how did you botch that so bad like oh no no hold on let's try again like we're gonna do death note like how did you how did you do that again so hold on hold on we're gonna do ghost in the shell and i'm like wow that one did not go over how you thought it was did you like oh no no well we hold on hold on we can fix this we can fix what about speed racer all right speed racer was pretty dope that's actually a decent movie that i think a lot of people just didn't uh, didn't understand what what they were going in for wachowski's all right Okay, you got me. Speed Racer's not not bad. <laughs> John it's Goodman a, just cracking his knuckles. Yeah. It's a goofy, goofy movie, but it I mean it it's was supposed a goofy to be anime. Yeah. Gives car cars doing gymnastics. Like I'll 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 allow this. I'll allow that. So so with all that in mind, the fact is I have no idea how Netflix does a live action one piece show where the main four cast members are luffy who is a rubber man who can stretch his body like it's it's ridiculous and he always has to yell he has named every attack that he does so his normal like stretchy punch is called gum gum pistol um if he he throws a bunch of punches at once it's gum gum gatling um he just has all these different attack names and every episode that he fight like a bigger bigger fight he comes up with a new elaborate move you're like oh that was pretty tight too um, but it's silly. It's very anime silly. Um, the second guy that you meet is this swordsman named Zoro who uses three swords, one of which he carries in his mouth. That's going to happen. And, and the thing is, the anime makes him look freaking awesome. There's no way you can have a human actor holding a sword in his mouth and look cool. It's just not going to work. That's going to be silly. Um, well, and that that's kind of the thing about adapting anime. It's the same thing as adapting comic books 20 years ago when they were trying to figure out how like yeah. you had you had the X-Men movie and they were like, so you're all going to wear black biker leather outfits. That seems yeah. not a great choice. 
Like, yeah, but what do you expect us to do? Yellow spandex? <laughs> it's like, I, I mean, turns out that might actually be the better option mm-hmm. as long as you give a good reason why it's yellow spandex. Like, the Marvel movies, not for nothing, they wear their traditional garb at least once, and there's always a good reason for it. And then in the second movie, you can change it up. Like, Captain America's outfit... There's no way that that looks cool. There, you can't make that helmet look good. But sure enough, they were like, okay, he wears it because it's this dumb outfit they put him in to, to do USO shows. Mm-hmm. And then over the course of two or three movies, it gets cooler and cooler until mm-hmm. until eventually by the end of those movies, like he doesn't even have to wear a mask at all. In Infinity War, he's not even wearing a suit. He's not even holding the shield that he has. He's just got regular like Wakanda shields on his arms. He he is Captain America without the suit at that point, but it took there 20 was, movies to get there. There was some growing pains that that comic book adaptations had to go through where people struggled to get comic accurate representations of their favorite comic book stuff and some one-off movies were weird, like, well, that probably was accurate, but, like, what a weirdo comic, like, The Phantom, like, okay, weird, but the, and, or, like, Ninja Turtles actually was pretty good, if you realize how close it was to the comic adaptation, like, ah, actually, they threaded that needle pretty well. Well, and then sure they, enough, I, I just watched a, a 1989 Batman, and it's it's hard to watch now because I'm watching going, yes, this is a screen accurate Joker. This is a pretty screen accurate Batman. It kind of physicality wise doesn't work. You don't yeah. buy that Batman is actually beating people up because he can barely move. Mm-hmm. And his first move in that movie, the very first time you see him, he just walks right up to a crook and extends his his uh, cape and his arms in a big goodbye horses type of energy. Like, <laughs> it is almost like he, he has got a sexual fetish and he is trying to say to these crooks, look at me. I look great. I look, <laughs> this is, I, I spent so much time on this. Yeah. But then he got to terrorize Peter Parker. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking and my kid, my kid was, this. my kid was very confused. Why? the villain of his favorite Spider-Man movie is Batman in a movie that came out like a year after I was born. It's, it is fascinating to see that shift from when, you know, the early two thousands, when comic book movies first were trying, they, they felt ashamed on some level of the comic material typified most by X-Men with them. Like, Oh, what'd you expect? Yellow spandex. Ha ha ha. That'd be stupid. Wouldn't it? It's like, or wouldn't it be awesome? And then eventually, like, the Marvel movies were like, what if we actually just started making the movies, you know, that people wanted to see? And, like, we take the stuff that we as moviegoers, you know, as filmmakers generally will say are campy and stupid. And instead of saying they're camping stupid, why don't we say, what makes this so beloved? Ah, here's what we love about this. Here's what the fans love about this. Here's the design that we can work with that fans will also appreciate. And they started to figure that out. Meanwhile, DC is like not figuring that out. They'll get to <laughs> Wonder Woman eventually, but like it took them a while. And over here, Marvel is just like, yeah, let's just keep doing this. And eventually they can just start, they'll introduce whatever they want. And a character can look almost any way they want. They say, by the way, this is that guy. And it was like, cool, cool. 
we're fine with that. Just just keep feeding us this stuff. And now, like, now that we're getting more live action, like Hollywood style anime live action adaptations, we're gonna still go through those growing pains where they're trying to Americanize it to make it appeal to a more broad audience and also make more contextual sense. And they're really also trying to fit in their American actors. And the problem is like, dude, anime is borked because all of the characters are technically Japanese, but they're also like not drawn to be any ethnicity. And like, technically they're a Japanese character who's in a white person body. And it is weird if you put it in a live action setting because that doesn't make sense and it's like that's because a lot of anime was based off of disney style so all the main characters have big expressive eyes and the villains have little beady eyes and that they kept pretty standard for a lot of anime for a while and so it's like there's so much more that's that isn't the same as like let's convert this comic book to a big screen now it's like let's try to take one entire style and just cram it into this new style and eventually someone's gonna crack the code and figure out how to do it and mostly it's gonna be i think getting over the pride aspect of like that that proud filmmaker of like i must make this look cool and be art and realize this is art people like it how do i make this a representation that carries all the elements they liked without just shot for shot recreating something they could have they've already seen and that's that's yeah. where that's where Netflix is apparently looking like they are going to try that because they're, they've got a live action one piece. They've got a live action avatar, the last airbender they're working on, which I'm like, no. Oh yeah, no, I I'm so we're, we're into season two of avatar with the kids this time. I've tried in the past to get the kid in, but he's finally ready now. Yeah. And he keeps seeing the M night Shyamalan movie on netflix and going like is that that's that's ang for real that's the that's the real we should watch that he's very into the live action adaptations doesn't really care about any turtles cartoon but he wants the live action turtles movies mm -hmm. doesn't really care about any animated the only animated spider-man he cares about is into the spider-verse but he'll watch any any uh live action spider-man if you let him, which I won't let him watch some of them, <laughs> he can watch all the Tobey Maguire he wants, but I'm not, I'm not watching those Andrew Garfield ones with him yet. Cause those are not for him. That's there's a conversation you have to have with him before you, he gets to see those ones basically. Yeah. I, I have to contextualize those ones as being like, now look, they tried Batman 89 with Spider-Man, and that's what the Tobey Maguire ones are. They, mm -hmm. they tried uh, the Dark Knight Nolan trilogy with Spider-Man, and that's what the Andrew Garfield ones are. And then, eventually, they had to succumb and just do a Marvel movie, and that's what the Tom Holland ones are. And that's what people wanted, really. I mean, we're just like, just give us more we want. Like, we found what we wanted, just keep giving us what we wanted, and that's that's where there's a, a lot of pushback, I think, with the DC movies so often is that every new DC movie, they keep trying to be like, but what if we gave you this? And the comic movie fans are just like, why do you keep arguing with us? We're going to pay. We want to we want to buy tickets to the movies that we want to see. And we found the formula we like. Don't don't complicate this. 
Yes. Ex- Pop tarts into cereal. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Experiment within the formula. And Marvel does that here and there where they're like, let's try Ant Man. It's going to be similar to the other Marvel movies, but a smaller budget. Let's see if this works. All right. That kind of worked. Let's try and Guardians that's... of the Galaxy. Why not? And that's the like, funny thing about the DC movies is that the ones that end up working that people end up liking are the ones that that are more outside the box. Shazam and Aquaman yeah. are much more successful movies. And I mean, Wonder Woman is pretty standard. It's pretty straightforward. It's it doesn't stray too far from what they're trying to do. But like those three movies are markedly different from man of steel batman v superman justice league and i mean suicide squad is i keep arguing that's not actually a movie (laughs) the version of that that they released is not a movie it's just 40 minutes of trailers for movies that we're never gonna see Mm -hmm. and then the back half of it is just a mess but these i mean the the Zack snyder like self-serious you know, th- these are Roman centurion gods kind of thing that he's going with. I get what he's trying to do in those movies. I find it rote, mechanical, and joyless, but there are people that like those. It's really interesting that the people who like those and want more of those, they don't say anything about Shazam. Meanwhile, I'm like, Shazam is a great DC movie. And it has almost nothing to do with the rest of them. And you know why it feels good is because it feels like a Marvel movie. It does. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of the reason why is it, it just kind of feels like its own thing. It feels like their version yeah. of Ant-Man where it exists in the same yeah. universe, but it, it could never appear again and it wouldn't ruin anything. And I'll tell you why Shazam worked and, you know, saying, oh, it's like a Marvel movie. I'm like, OK, that's that's dismissive to some extent. It works for two reasons. Number one, they leaned into the silly and they're like, what do people love about, you know, Shazam? This is, they love that he looks like this and he acts like this. And well, this is there, a, there's a take. There, the movie has a take. Yeah. Like it's look, we're not just going to do superhero origin story. We're not going to do the Batman Begins Man of Steel thing where we fl- we start with him becoming the hero and then we flash back to him as a kid And then we flash back to him as college age where he's just learning that he wants to be a hero. And we're not doing that, that memento stuff that worked really well in Batman begins, not as well in man of steel. We're not, we don't have to do it again. They full on approached Shazam being like, how do we do this? It, I mean, it's essentially big, but he's a superhero. So let's just make big, but he's a superhero. And that's why it works. It's the and the the core thing that I liked about Shazam is it makes you feel good and happy. Shazam was wonderful. We watched it with the family, and of course, you know Liam's not as old as the kid, but he's close enough that we kept saying, "Liam, that's what you would do if you were a superhero," and it, it worked every time. But the the ending, it had this moment repeated way too many times to where it became conspicuous. You know, where like we, the, the hero like gets knocked down and the bad guy stands there and he's you know, either monologuing or just staring. And then the hero gets up and he, he yeah. brushes the rubble off his shoulder and the, and the bad guy looks, and he's like, Oh, you should have died. And the hero's like, aha, but I didn't. And now, now it's my turn. And, and you as the audience are like, Oh yeah, here it comes. 
And it they kept doing that back and forth over and over again, seemingly for no reason. Like, you know, the bad guy was holding the kid underwater and he says Shazam and then he gets up. And he's like, oh, I'm the hero now. And the villain is, you know, he takes a step back. He's like, oh, now I'm in trouble. And they fight a little bit and the Shazam knocks the villain down. But then the villain gets up and Shazam backs away and says, oh, now I'm in trouble. And it, it seemed like they kept just taking turns. And it was <laughs> it was childish, but in like an endearing way. And I think that's how you would describe the whole movie. It's childish, but not in a remedial, insulting way. It's just you can watch it with kids and they understand it and they have fun. And with that, we've solved movies. And <laughs> we've, we've we've solved it for all of them. We've yep. solved we've solved entertainment. Um, Kyle, where can people find us in the usual places? Uh, well, every everything that we everything that we post uh, goes up through uh, the site, which is media-sandwich.com, and there you can find some uh, written pieces, mostly by me. Chris did do a great series of uh, video game. Uh, it's, it's essentially his prose let's play of a couple of games, namely uh, 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 Zelda. Uh, Hell's that Wild. Zelda name called? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Breath of the Wild. Uh, and then uh, we also have this show and Drat going up there. Uh, and then if you have any trouble finding anything that you want to listen to or read, it's all available through our Twitter, which is media underscore sandwich. Or you can find it through me at, at Kyle Martinak. Uh, Chris is at the Chris Pranger. And mm -hmm. Dan is at no right tweet. Mm -hmm. So you can hassle us there or you can email us at uh, media sandwich show at gmail.com and write us a question or some some form of uh, conversation starter. We'd be happy to bring it up on the show and talk to you about it. Or, or if you want to tell us that we were wrong about something, we can get a corrections uh, segment going. Because I'm sure that I messed up. I know I messed up that clown thing about Doug Jones. It turns out I was totally wrong. Oh, <laughs> well. So I'm don't send don't send me a tweet about that. Doug Jones is in that movie, but he's not that clown. He's a different clown. What? <laughs> yes. Uh, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. <laughs> you were so close. Well, now I have to leave my wrongness in the show. So there we go. There okay. you go. I, I guess it's time to go get a sandwich or or, or pop tart cereal. That's <laughs> or a glass of scotch. Oh, it was good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Get on Twitter and ask Dan about his single malt whiskey. I will tell them all about it when I find my pants. Let's, hey, speaking let's of the it... world ending, um, <laughs> when can I? How can I Venmo you for the masks that I ordered, Kyle? I should have plugged Rosalie's mask business that she's got going on the show. <laughs> Still recording. Oh this shit! You're right. <laughs> this episode sponsored by.
<laughs> oh yeah, no, I'll do a serious one. Uh, 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 let's do a little, little music in between. Ba -ba -ba -da -da. Uh, hey everybody, it's Kyle. And uh, by the way, my wife is making masks. She's got a bunch of fun prints. Uh, here's a link. Ba -ba -ba. Maybe I'll figure this shit out later. You have to actually say the link, Kyle, because this is all audio. <laughs> I know. That's why I said I'll figure this shit out later.